This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cameron Raslan, today we have the returns of. He is um, advertising guru. He is. Uh, <laughs> he's saying no, he's not. He's an actor. He's um, a consultant. He is Vernon Adrian Among. Hi, thanks a lot for having me back, Cam. <laughs> Always a pleasure. And he is an educator. He's a musician. He is the Bob Dylan of Bungie. He is uh, Asmil Yunor. Hi, hi. Great to be back. Uh, the most famous person we have on uh, Better Culture, Asmil Yunor. Uh, so our three topics this week are, topic number one is ban billboard advertising. Topic number two is, is data science history? And finally, topic number three is revising newsworthiness. So with topic number one, ban billboard advertising, uh, about 20 years ago, I was in Copenhagen in Denmark, you know, as one does. And uh, I was standing there and I, I just arrived and I was looking around and I was thinking something looks different. Something looks weird. I mean, not just that, you know, Copenhagen's a very pretty city and, and I've never been to a place that looks like it before, but something was different. And I realized that what was different is there was no advertising there was no billboard advertising there may have been something on a bus stop that i kind of vaguely remember but otherwise there were no big adverts up in the air on the sides of buildings maybe even on the side of buses no there was on the sides of buses that was it but that was it and i i mean i from malaysia from kuala lumpur and i'd grown up also in london two cities which have a very similar attitude to billboard advertising which is just Put it everywhere. <laughs> if there's a free wall, yep. put up a billboard advert. And I realized by looking at Copenhagen that billboard advertising really interrupts our view of where we live. It distracts the eye. It makes the place look cluttered. And if you could just take it away, you would see either the beauty of where you live or the sheer ugliness of where you live. <laughs> it would expose it for what it is. On top of that, I mean, there's a whole there's a whole industry around it, people's livelihoods. So I guess if I'm calling for the banning of billboard advertising, I'll put people out of work. But uh, Vernon, can I go ask you first? Because you, you're an advertising man. Billboard advertising does it even work? It does. It does work. Um, it works um, on various levels. Um, I think in most societies where perhaps maybe the collection of taxes is very in- inefficient. Therefore, then that kind of advertising actually brings in revenue and provides for street lighting in some of these uh, less uh, yeah, rich uh, urban areas. And so, therefore, you will see this kind of uh, ridiculous clutter in third world countries, in uh, developing world, uh, more than you will see it. But then, of course, you see it in New York, right? <laughs> mm. You know, billboards everywhere. Um, the monetization of space, that's what it's all about, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you that, that there should be a little bit more circumspection in the spread of uh, outdoor advertising because, yes, it does kind of take away from what is the real character of the place. That's uh, my input. Yeah, I don't know whether I answered your question, but yes, it does work because it's about front of mind uh, awareness and top of mind or front of mind awareness is very important for the advertising industry. Okay, so Asmil, obviously you and I have uh, have seen these things and uh, and we've just gone straight into the shop and purchased Dali toothpaste or what have you. <laughs> <laughs> does, does it work for you? I mean, do you, what do you think? 
Um, I have this hypothesis, right? Where I live, the I think between the Plus Highway Toll of Kajang and Bandar Baru Bangi, I think has the highest concentration of dodgy, unlicensed uh, billboards in this yes. south of KL. I feel, and uh, it's all these dodgy slamming products. It's all this, and you know, you know, it's illegal because there's no like, you know, they have the the permit, whatever you call it. But there's once I drove past it, and I think a storm had come through. And all the dodgy ones were like flipped over, flew off. And I think I was God telling telling these advertisers get out of the way. So, <laughs> so I think uh, uh, it, yeah. it it definitely I think it, I mean it's distracting. But I must admit that as a kid, I thought all these neon, especially those neon kind of ads, uh, or at least like like Vernon said, their source of lighting, right? As a kid, I was I was very fascinated. I thought it was really cool. Um, you know, it's like Blade Runner and dystopia. Yes, but absolutely. It's nice aesthetic, but I guess as an adult who's now having to spend on things, I find it quite annoying that people are reminding you to spend. So I've changed a bit of that. But I mean, I I, I worked in advertising myself and a very small agency, and I the, the client was spending quite a bit of money on billboard advertising. And I got the impression, sort of listening in on conversations, that that really it, it was a way to persuade the client that the agency was doing work. That look, come, come, come with us. We'll go and have a look. There's the billboard. It's on the highway. A million people drive past here every day. You're getting real bang for your buck. Oh yeah, I I can tell you, I can actually uh, support what you're saying because uh, one of the first things that you do, right, when you put up billboard advertising as an agency, is that you find out which route the CEO takes on his way to work in the morning. I knew it. Ah. I knew it. <laughs> so you're absolutely right in, in nailing that down because um, I'm sorry, but yeah, I, I'm going to be the, what is it? The Edward Snowden of uh, advertising. <laughs> the whistleblower. <laughs> the whistleblower. <laughs> Edward Snowden. <laughs> I knew it because I used to drive home and there was this, I can't remember what it was now, but there was this one advert. It was very strange. It was for like, steel girders or something it's like who who drives on this particular road wanted thinking i'm gonna i need some steel girders and i thought i wonder if the ceo lives on this route and, <laughs> and now vernon has exposed the i have now i'm a hunted man my days are numbered <laughs> how, how do they respond i mean like the ceos when they see it, do they are they pleased or do they go like oh good 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 that's all you know very nonchalant or do they go they're they like hey you want a selfie with my with a with a billboard, of course, of course, they'd want a selfie. I mean, back <laughs> back in the day when I was in advertising, there were no selfies. But of course, that be that be a ceremony, you know, to wow. to launch. I remember, you know, at Federal Highway, there was a particular huge billboard. It was the first ever what was known as a mega pillar, I think it was called, and it was the first really giant billboard. Which uh, one of my clients actually, I was working on the account, and we had a full on ceremony with buses of their dealers actually heading down to the site and having a little bit of a kanduri and a, you know, a shindig <laughs> there. Yeah. So, and it was part of, you know, building morale, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it was used as, as a motivation kind of thing, a relationship building kind of thing, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, I guess as humans, we are always looking for reasons to party. <laughs> Yeah, but Vernon, you say it, it works, though. It does drive us brainless consumers into the shops to purchase the thing. Well, it, it does what is known as uh, promote 
top of mind awareness. And that's really important because when you are in a situation where you need something and if you've been in a way, uh, you know, you don't, you've never had an experience with that range of products. Of course, you'll go for something that feels familiar. I mean, mm. remember that I brought up this thing of uh, uh, uncertainty reduction theory. Well, if it feels familiar, we will go for it because it feels safer. And therefore, top of mind awareness is really important. Yeah. So that's what that kind of advertising does. It doesn't, it doesn't evoke any emotion unless, of course, it's an emotive picture. But let's say if it's just a brand name, the thing it's doing is top of mind awareness, making it seem familiar. So you, rem- you remember it, right? That's the main thing. Yeah, it's there in your head. Uh, it's 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 easily retrievable. It feels familiar. Yeah. Because there was this once this dodgy billboard selling something also around here between. I mean, I think people would have seen it if you drove on Plus Highway. They just this guy just flipped the upside yeah. upside down, right? Upside down. Yeah. And people thought it was a mistake. I said, no, that guy's brilliant, man. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But can you remember what the product was? Yeah, it was selling something in a in a jar. In a jar. So a friend of mine, awareness, when Asmil suddenly needs something in a jar, he will <laughs> he will know where to go. Well, I, after the show, I'll speak to producer Anif and uh, we'll get a, a bit of culture yeah. billboard because when somebody needs a bit of culture, they should come for our bit of culture. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Quick, I need a bit of culture. <laughs> where do I go? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, I don't know. We, I don't know if we've actually worked out uh, how to ban them, but I, I really wish we could reduce the number because they're so damn ugly. Well, it's only it's only possible if local governments um, found money from elsewhere, you know, mm. because that's what it's all about. Um, because the moment a billboard comes up, usually street lights around the area are improved. And like if you go down, you know, near Tamantun, right? Uh, there are all these uh, underneath the TTDI station heading towards uh, Damansara. There are all these billboards there, right? They actually provide some kind of illumination. Uh, they make the roads seem brighter, etc. But also, if you look, the landscaping on the dividers are a lot better because the advertising companies have said, okay, we'll, if you give us the space, we'll do these kinds of things. Oh. So then they actually contribute towards, um, yeah, the urban kind of like infrastructure. They need it for kampongs too, man. Kampongs with no light, you know? Yeah, so... Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. CSR project. Yeah. Okay. Well, we move on from that and we move to topic number two. Uh, Vernon, is data science history? (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Is data science history? Uh, It doesn't mean what it sounds like. What I'm saying is, um, is the collection of data, as in data science, especially machine learning data science that we know it, the stuff that, 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 um, big companies are, are actually uh, gathering over our behavior and stuff like that. Is it history? Is it, does it allow us to see patterns, study those patterns, and then be able to make predictions as well as learn from it? So bi- this is the reason why we learn history, right? To see certain patterns happening and then to learn from it or to do better, to achieve more, uh, et cetera. It made me think about this when I went to an exhibition on Sunday called the Building the Becha. And uh, what was interesting was this initiator of the project, Jeffrey Lim. Um, he followed this uh, Becha maker in KL for 10 years and then became his apprentice and then decided to turn this project into a nine-month thing where he learns how to make a Becha. And then what he did was, and it was actually kind of like an art cultural project 
So then he kind of like made a presentation where it was all laid out. So while it was history, it was also him collecting, archiving information about the building of Abecha. And it made me think like, oh, so actually the gathering of information, right? And the study of it is a history thing, mm. you know? Yeah. And so it made me think, okay, so, so maybe uh, this whole data science thing is micro history. It can predict, I mean, like if, if data science is used in medicine, for instance, it can predict the uh, particular uh, uh, occurrence of certain diseases in people who eat in a particular way or do certain things in a particular way. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's where I joined the dots. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I thought I'd pitch this to you guys and see what you think. No, no, fascinating. Uh, can I quickly ask before before Asmil jumps in, someone's still making bechas? No. Uh, unfortunately, the becha shop, the shop Sin Hing, I think it's called, uh, closed down on in July 2021, right? Uh, and, and at this particular exhibition, they were giving away the tools as mementos to people who came to the exhibition. So oh. obviously, you know, he had basically decided enough is enough. And, mm. and if, you, uh, if you go to the exhibition, um, he talks about how his grandfather started a business. And then he actually goes through the whole process of making it. Uh, there's this thing called uh, metal coal bending, where you actually bend metal while it's cold. Actually use brute strength. I mean, like stuff like that. Like you look at it and you think like, wow, this is what was going on. And you feel you want to build a beach up because it looks so macho, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Asmil, had you, uh, I mean, I never actually thought about it really like that, but I think it's a fascinating idea. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's legit, man. And the sense is, is history. Uh, I think anything that, that you know, collects, uh, and like, like Vernon put it, that allows you to predict or see patterns, I think that's always what why history matters. Or just raw data doesn't mean anything, right? So... It's about, yeah, look, looking for the patterns and trying to, yeah, figure out evidences to suggest a particular outcome. Yeah, I've, I've been working on a, um, uh, writing a thing on the history of uh, pre-colonial Southeast Asia and the trade patterns um, and sea routes and, and that kind of thing. If I had access to data that had been collated on the imports and exports from the port of Malacca, say, and uh, the quantities and um, amounts of money being passed. I mean, that would just be amazing. I, I, but, you know, I don't know. If, yeah, you could still, you can still read a lot of hu humanity into that. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, I had actually uh, come across was the whole idea of like recording, right? Um, humans used to record and colonialists used to record a lot of stuff, which is the reason why, the British Empire became so powerful because they actually recorded everything and then used that data to plan ahead, you know? And it was that planning ahead that allowed them to be so friggin' powerful and knowledgeable and insightful and able to predict outcomes or control, you know? So yeah, data is power. But, you know, I've spent a bit of time in, in archives over the years and um, the storage of information, of data changes with new technologies so you can go and there'll be things on microfiche which which back in i don't know gosh what the late 70s i remember was, that was the absolute <laughs> state of the art <laughs> yeah and and now you have to have the machinery to be able to operate it and paper gets eaten by creatures in the tropics and i have several different types of digital 
machines which are completely useless now because technology keeps moving. You know, we, we'd have to know that your Bechafella's data is going to be recorded in an accessible format. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, like uh, one, of, one of the most interesting exhibits was how the Becha maker actually kept his designs and it was handwritten on scraps of paper. And then next to it was uh, blueprints, actual, uh, what is it? Computer graphic thingy, what's it? CAD, CAD blueprints documents. And the, and the yeah, and, and the, uh, what is it? The contrast, the, uh, the uh, amazing, I mean, like you look at it and you swing left to right, looking at both and you think like, wow, you know, the, 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 the immense kind of like a sophistication that took place from one to the other or the de development, human development that went from one to the other, you know, over time. Uh, just makes you, I don't know, was gobsmacking for me. Yeah, it was brilliant, that, that particular exhibition. Yeah. Is it still on? Is it still on? Uh, no, it closed on Sunday, but you can go to the, uh, you can go to the uh, Facebook page. He's got a lot of videos there. Um, it's called Building the Becha. Just look for Building the Becha by uh, Trade Archive. No one told me, Vernon. <laughs> I know, it's... Uh, <laughs> you didn't tell uh, me? Yeah, it popped up on my social media, so I'm a social media geek, so that's the reason, I guess, yeah. So therefore, we are namelessly, or even with names, we are part of somebody's future historical analysis of society. Because our, from our use of Mysajatra to use of credit cards, what have you, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're documented, we're there. We can be tracked. Yeah. And yeah, it's interesting you brought up Mysajatra because there's been such uh, great controversy and arguments about who will end up owning Mysajatra because of the data there, right? Yeah. Hmm. What, too much data nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the, the, the thing is, it comes from the ability to actually archive it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Vernon. Fascinating. And, uh, and yeah, gosh, I just wish that I could go back to, the, I don't know, the Middle Ages and just sort of find a digital data trove. <laughs> <laughs> if only. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a moment, though, we're going to come back and we're going to revise newsworthiness um, here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Roslan, Vernon Adrian Among, and Asmil Yunor. And now, Asmil Yunor, breaking news, the revising of newsworthiness. Yeah, just crossed my mind, particularly looking at how Malaysian news is produced and consumed that I think we see this, we're talking about patterns, right? This pattern of behavior that we see by so-called leaders, um, you know, they just say something outrageous and they just get covered, they get headlined. And they know, they, they kind of hack that, right? That they found, hey, that's just means the news. That's been happening like for, for decades in Malaysia. And it's very annoying because of course, you know, news is, you know, you've got to compete, right? Who gets the first, yep. who gets the scoop? So, so I find that, that very, not disturbing, but very annoying. That um, you know, maybe you know, I teach media, and you know, I got to tell students in all these criteria of newsworthiness, and I understand those things are actually very, they're very evergreen, right? What the criteria of newsworthiness, you know, there's about seven of them. Um, it makes a lot of sense, but I think context is always important too, and we tend to forget that. And so I think we should revise newsworthiness in Malaysian media by you know by not covering somebody's statements based on maybe the level of intelligence in the statement. There could be one rubric to work from. 
and then we'll probably have less of these outrageous statements by some cuckoo and anyone gets covered in the news. How on earth do you measure units of <laughs> cleverness? Or whatever? We, we, we need a bit of a data science thing, you know? So uh, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, this just, because we live such media-saturated times. You know, if, uh, if you look at younger generations, why they're tuning out of things, it's not because they're necessarily just distracted by TikTok, but it's also the fact that they're just bombarded from early age, right? With advertising and news and all this thing on top of that, parents nagging on them. And, you know, there's just a lot of things happening. Um, we, need, we need to prune that a bit. I, and I don't know where to begin. I was thinking just the news, maybe. Well, I'm going to guess, though, that if the Asmil Yunor News Network website, it would be one of the most least visited places on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Absolutely like, <laughs> no clickbait. He just needs the right editor, and then before you know it, he'll be the next sensation. Yeah. yeah. What, what is it? Breaking the internet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, eventually, it's all in the packaging, isn't it? I mean, like, uh, yeah. This 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 topic is really, really interesting. Interesting in light of several recent issues, like for instance, the Will Smith Chris Rock uh, situation, right? Everybody forgot about the other winners. Yeah, exactly. so sad. Yeah, so sad. Yeah. And forgot about Ukraine as well. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. So, so there, there's a tendency to fall in this rabbit hole of, of of covering one thing, right? Because that's you know, it's ironic, but yeah, like nobody talked about the Oscar. I mean, some people were saying like, finally, people stop talking about the Oscars, but, but they're talking about an incident in particular. Yeah. All right. Well, got an Asmil, uh, news editor. How would you have, how would you have done ca- covered that story? Just not covered it. I'll just look at it. If everybody's covering, let's not cover that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> actually, I was supposed to have a clubhouse session on it when it first broke. And then ah. I decided not to do it because I felt unless I had speakers who was going to give me a different point of view, like I wanted somebody alopecia to talk, but um, she declined at the last minute. If she had come on, then I might have run the clubhouse session. But because she said no, um, I decided, no, I I don't want to be kind of like repeating what everybody's saying and, and sounding self-righteous and being a pundit of the lowest denominator, which is that so much of them exists. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think that the three of us are of similar age and we perhaps grew up in a, in a time when the news was pretty rare. I mean, it was, it was on three TV stations and three newspapers so we all shared the same news. Actually, we all fell for the same lies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> true. But, Sad but true, yeah. But what I think Murdoch Media has come along and done is, um, yeah, not present the news, but has presented or rather injected emotion into the news telling. So it's actually your response, your emotional response and your feelings, uh, which are very non-intellectual, on the subject, which is what they're appealing to, so that you almost get a, an adrenaline kind of rise as opposed to... Triggers an emotion, yeah. Yeah, as opposed to the brain thinking, oh, yes, and then there's that side of the argument. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, the thing is, right, the, the instinct of news is that, you know, bad news is good news, right? You don't hear news where, oh, yep. we, let's interview this guy in Subang. He's very happy to be alive today. Let's talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, so so it's... The newsworthiness sometimes becomes toxic because of primarily this chasing of, of you know a scoop, but it's essential too. So it's it's tough. Yeah, I mean, how how do we how do we 
how we deal with this. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, this, this topic also reminds me of Ian Pike, you know, the comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, the comedian who parodies journalists, oh, right? Yes, yes. And he it's takes, fantastic. but and the thing about it is, right, he gets really emotional in front of the screen, right? And yeah. he's really crazy. And often people actually believe he's real. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I personally, I loathe, I really loathe that guy. <laughs> really? For me, the real tell was, first of all, his first gig was on Russia Today, RT, which is complete disinformation, misinformation TV station. And what he is promoting is cynicism. It's not just you should believe this story. No, you should believe no story. No, he's not doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, because no, because the next week he will lambast the thing that he was previously praising. He 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 has no solid ground on which he stands. It's pure cynicism. But that's parody. I mean, like, yeah, you take and down. and then our response is yeah, but that's parody. I I'm, I'm sorry, I don't. But I think he's he's simply trying to push us away from any sense of news gathering. Yeah, but you should you shouldn't just take. His word. I mean, what he's saying is he said it, but you you gotta be informed by what's going on, right? Yeah, but he's more he's more entertaining than Asmo Yunor News Network. <laughs> yeah, he is entertaining. He's entertainment. He is entertaining. He yeah. is an entertainment. So, yes. So so what he's he what what he does for us is to say as what Asmo said. You know, don't just listen to one source. Don't don't just be influenced by one source. That's what he's doing, which I think is is so for me important. Yeah. You know, but of course, some people fall into the trap of actually believing what he says as real, and then they get worked up. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. there's confirmation bias happening, you know, and yeah. we need to be aware of confirmation bias. You know, we really need to check ourselves. So I think what he does, if we know that he's, that he's a parody, we will continue to check our confirmation biases. Yeah, yeah. But I, 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 oh, I'm also... Um... And well, I do actually think about the conundrum of how do you sell the story, you know, breaking news, nothing bad happened in Africa this week. Yeah. Um, and we now do not cut to our African correspondent because nothing bad happened. You know, how, yeah. how, how do you, how do you, because the news really, I mean, in the real world, the news is people just getting on with things. Yeah. No, it's just, it's, you know, the, the flip side is that, yeah, you, you, you could be, uh, I tried this before, you know, just just watch the news all the time. Turn on CNN for for forty eight hours, and you come out paranoid, and your body, you, you, you do, you do, yeah, because your 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 chemicals, your body react to to fear, right? And that's essentially at the end of the day. And but fear fear sells, you know, and that's where advertising comes in too. So it seems we of this larger network of just selling fear. It seems well, what 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 I'm concerned here. Okay, well, in conclusion, then, Asmil. <laughs> what what's the remedy how do you i don't know do I'm, I'm not going to watch your tv your your channel it's going to be so <laughs> boring but but i mean sell it to me what it's, it's called the good news network man <laughs> 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 just smiley faces every day you know like uh yeah uh-huh. yeah if cats can get away with it why can't you know exactly our, right yeah because and cats don't cats don't get monetized that's why if cats are new <laughs> Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, they, if they, if they develop, a, develop a brain cell, hey, I want money. So all the cats will sue people right? <laughs> using my yeah, face. Yeah, you don't have to pay a cat. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, uh, you know, uh, come up with your working paper. Uh, send it to me and Vernon. We'll see um, right. if we wish to I'll be to happy invest. to market something okay, that isn't is marketable, yeah. Perfect team. Quite a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
This is how like the New York Times started or something. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, we, we move on, though, uh, to the final part of the show, recommendations, where I recommend something that we think might be of interest. And kind of actually in keeping it, the, the one kind of bit of culture that, that I, I accessed this week is um, it's just something that just made me happy in the face of all the awfulness that's happening. And I do believe it's a very valid thing. And it's a, it's a movie. I mean, if you ask me officially what's my favorite movie, I might say Lawrence Arabia or Godfather Part Two. But actually, my favorite movie is We're the Millers. Um, We're the Millers. We Are the yeah. Millers, starring Jason Sudeikis and Jennifer Aniston. Came out in 2013. I must admit that I snuck into a cinema without paying in order to watch this. <laughs> well, I, 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 Teach I, me I, how to do that, please. No, I actually paid to go and watch another movie, and it was so bad that I left and as I was walking past it, it had were the millers and I thought oh, I'll go in there instead uh, so I did pay really but um, I wanted to prove to Asmil that I'm a rebel and um, <laughs> were the millers is I think the funniest the funniest film and um, I'm not going to describe the plot or anything but it's just a delight you know an hour and a half of just sheer unadulterated comic it's brilliant. Anyway, so my recommendation <laughs> about a family? is... Is it about a family or...? Yeah, it's about a family that's not a family. It's okay. a fake family that becomes a family. <laughs> and, okay, so we're the Millers. We're from 2013. That's pretty old. Anyway, uh, Vernon, what's yours? Okay, um, I mentioned uh, that art and culture initiative called Build the Becha or Building the Becha. Um, please go and check it out because I, I really, really think that this project by one Jeffrey J.C. Lim and uh, his collaborators is really, really interesting. And it could be the start of something that's quite important for Malaysia, which is the documentation of dying trades. So he started off with the Becha. I think he's going to move into Kopitiams. Okay. And he creates this whole exhibition around that particular trade where effortlessly you get drawn into the sciences and the arts in a very, very interesting way. The storytelling is amazing. So just check out, you know, the Facebook page, Building the Becha. Um, and he's got lots of videos. He actually uh, interviews, he actually interviews the Becha maker, a, a certain Mr. Dyong. And they, they ran the videos at the exhibition. Uh, really fascinating. Really, really fascinating. You, you get insight into a different culture, um, a different way of uh, making a living. And you appreciate how amazing the world is. Wow, <laughs> yeah. It sounds amazing. Sounds great. Yeah. Hey, by the way, any, any of us actually traveled on a becha, not in a touristy way, but actually, did, did you ever go on a becha? Yeah, um, in Penang. Yes. Yeah, in Penang, yeah. In the really early 80, uh, 90s, sorry. Yeah. In fact, I think they still are around. They are, but they're much more, yeah. they're, they're, they're kind of really touristy now. And actually, you know, uh, speaking of your data sciences, the uh, the British back in the day were always very keen. Whenever there was a sign of any kind of trouble, they wanted to go down and find out what the rickshaw driver was thinking. They wanted to know where his mood was. You got to get make a movie there. Spy who was a bitch writer or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, that sounds great. One more time, uh, Vernon. What, what's it called again? Uh, building? Build, building the bitcher. Cool. Or you can look for Trade Archives. Trades Archive, yeah. Right, cool. Either Trade Archives or Trades Archive. Right. 
Okay. So, uh, Azmil, what's yours? Ah, okay. Just top my head here. This one. Ah, uh, yeah, friend of mine, Mate, the the, the theater guy. He create. He and several of his uh, colleagues and friends created this this video essay called uh, "Fragments of Tua." Found it very fascinating. Um, although that, of course, when you say the word "hang tua," straight away like among Malaysia device. Like, ah, I'm not listening to something about tua. I'm a jebat man. Or you know, the the tua man would say like, yeah, you know. But then I think when they watch it, it actually problematizes this, this figure of Hang Tua, right? Which is, uh, which is a lot more interesting than this him as a person. So um, it's on Vimeo. Check it out, Fragments of Tua. It's about 45 minutes long. Um, it's going to cost you, so it's not free. But... Uh, but but what the price? I um, can't remember. It's like... Uh, Must have been what the price like if you can't remember it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it says buy 1074. So I guess that's... In dollars, I suppose. It's quite you, US, do, US dollars? Or euro, I don't know. You, you wow, check it really? out. Yeah. Well, Nations are selling their culture in euros or dollars now. Cool. Yeah, it's, a, it's an export, man. Yeah, so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all I want to say about it is that I, I find this format of video essay is often very interesting. It yep. can be engaging. Um, we, we've adapted that in some of my, my, my subjects. Not my subjects. Uh, well, some of us do. Students do video essays, takes a bit of skill, but what I found fascinating, not so much just about the, the topic of the, the, you know, the, the trope of Tuha versus Jebat, but also the very fact that it's also very, it's, um, video essays are uh, ephemeral, you know, they they sort of float and, you know, there's a visual aspect of it, etc. And I think this, this also maybe links to like, like what we're saying about like, um, history with building the Becha, etc. We just have such troves of local knowledge and history that we haven't dug into that I think yeah. that different formats. And if you're talking about online media, I think video essay is always fascinating. I love I love those stuff. Mm. So what's it called again and, and where do we find it? Uh, Fragments of Tua on Vimeo. So just check it out. Okay. And it's from the, the narrator's point of view is Fike, who's who is also... He's with BFM, I think, and he's also, mm. but he's also a band guy. So it's it was it was a trip. It's quite a trip. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's a pretty good. Uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing it. Bunch of people mm. there. Yeah. Anything that Mark Tay does is is worth you know. Oh yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Worth the euros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll buy two catty of that. Um, <laughs> so, so that brings us to the end of this week's show. And only remains me now to thank Vernon Adrian Amon. Thank you very much. Asmil, you know? Cheers, man. Asmil, you got any gigs coming up? No, not at the moment, but something might happen at Medicaria on 12th May. So, okay. So uh, just follow me on Google and all that stuff. Cool. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm a self cam wrestler, so please join us next week for another. Uh, bit of culture and not just any old bit of culture this is the best bit of culture front front of mind is it called uh absolutely uh, right front of mind yeah keep us front of mind front of mind when you're looking for a bit of culture come to a bit of culture look out for our billboards coming up soon yeah i mean coming to your favorite highway yeah, yeah. upside down <laughs> yeah. um yeah here, anyway but here on bfm 89.9 Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.